Welcome to We Grow California with your hosts, Darcy Villery and Darcy Burke, a safe space to discuss water, agriculture, and what makes California grow. We have guests from those who just drink water to those that make water policy, all passionate about the water issues that face all Californians today. Join the conversation by liking, subscribing, sending in your questions, and submitting your request to be our guest. Let's get this conversation started. We Grow California is excited to welcome William Bill Jones, former California Secretary of State, former California State Assemblyman, longtime family farmer, and water policy pioneer. He's my uncle, and he also he's the manager of the farm, and he has a wealth of a water history, and I'm sure any number of people have heard of him before, but I feel like we should let him talk about himself or fill in everybody on the family farm history and his own past with water, that kind of thing. Very good, Darcy. Darcy, Darcy. Darcy, Darcy. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to be with you today. I appreciate the invitation. We go back in California water. We've been here farming for 75 years, and my father uh, goes back all the way back to right after World War II, where he was out on the west side uh, drilling wells before the projects came in. And then when the projects st- got approved with Burns Porter, the uh, California Water Commission under Ronald Reagan was responsible for overseeing the implementation of Burns Porter and actually going out and building the projects. And so I remember very well in the mid-60s when I was in high school, and he spent an awful lot of time traveling with the other members of the California Water Commission, uh, looking at the projects, looking at the canal, making sure that the the money was being spent well. And... um, and how the project was actually going to end up providing water, not just the north, the Central Valley, but also Los Angeles. Um, he got to know the, the Water Commission members very well. In that process, uh, back in those days, there was a complex program, which in, included the uh, San Luis Reservoir and the, the canals, but it also had other projects that never got built. And one of them was the Sykes Reservoir Project that uh, was in the original program that uh, for a variety of reasons back then kind of got pushed off back in the 60s and 70s because there were other more important projects to be done. Uh, Fast forward a bit to uh, the uh, early 90s, we'd come out of a drought or two and that period of time there was a lot of interest in water quality as there should be of the Delta and having enough storage north of the Delta to address that question because by that time the peripheral canal which had originally been a concept for moving water through the Delta and around the Delta um, was set aside and so required additional water so that Sykes uh, came back up. Uh, Back in the early 90s, uh, Governor Pete Wilson set up the Bay Delta program, which was a combination of the federal and the state to try and work out these problems and resolve how the two might work together, meet water quality standards and also provide additional water. Was that was the CalFed com- program? Yeah, the CalFed program. Uh, it was very complex agreement that was put together between the Clinton administration, Wilson administration. And um, in that particular process, uh, the, um, the whole effort there was to try and work out something that, that, that everyone could agree on, but it, it, be, it was very complex. And um, we worked on that. I worked in the legislature on trying to get additional storage. And then when I was Republican leader, I worked on the water issue. And then when uh, I became Secretary of State in 94, 
I spent a lot of time on this issue, even though I was Secretary of State and I used to get kitted all the time when I was Secretary of State for water. And the governor would give me a bad time about it because how important it is, as everyone knows, how important the issue is, continues to be. And so uh, on a bipartisan basis, we worked on that uh, in the early late 80s and early 90s. I think any water solution is complex. I've been in water for a couple of decades now, and I don't know any solution or agreement that I have been a part of that isn't complex. So I think that has to be rule number one or it doesn't happen. Um, but it's been about 20 years since you served in the California legislature, and, and thank you for your service because it is a sacrifice on your family. And from the outside looking in now, I guess you get to be a Monday morning quarterback. What's changed? Well, it's always been a, a dynamic, partisan dynamic internally, uh, and is a give and a take, and it always spins off the reapportionment every decade. I went through uh, four reapportionments when I was around the process, and I led the one in 92 where we, in my opinion anyway, finally got a fair reapportionment, and uh, which proceeded to provide an opportunity for um, my party, the Republican Party, to get a majority in the mid-90s, which we had not had for a long time. So I think the key thing for a legislative body or government is to have a dynamic tension between the parties. And if you get one party, either party, that controls too much of the process, you lose that tension, which uh, most of the business in politics is done somewhere in the middle. And when uh, what you end up with is the best policy in the middle, that's for sure, the best policy. And you right? end up with both extremes driving the boat if there's no tension in the middle to force compromise. Well, I definitely can appreciate that perspective. Um, and I really appreciate the fact that you gave us a little family history of why water is important. Um, I think most people in the state have no idea where their water comes from except for a tap. And that goes with their food, too. If you ask people, where does your food come from? They say, oh, the grocery store right? Or Instacart, or now Amazon, right? They have no concept to, to what it takes to deliver water and to deliver food. And both are integral part to our national security and to our communities. Um, what issues while you were in the legislature kept you up at night? Well, we constantly were dealing with budget issues. And I would say uh, it's much different when you're a freshman member of the legislature. Uh, it, it doesn't keep you up much at night because you're not really aware of what's going on as much. But as I progressed through my career after 12 years, I was a Republican leader, and um, I did the three strikes law in California when we had the crime problem in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, we also did the budget, which was a real tough budget in 91, 92, which we balanced and got, got through, but it was a long process. And, uh, and finally, the reapportionment that year, which I led the effort on that. So that was a really busy year, and but I had to the opportunity to work with some extremely well-qualified people on both sides. I didn't agree with them all the time, uh, but they were, they knew the business. They'd been around long enough and, uh, and they knew the art of compromise. Um, and uh, consequently we were successful in getting those measures accomplished with a balance for both parties. And I think those are the three issues that gave me the most trouble and kept me up the most at night. Well, I, I wouldn't want to have to balance that budget. I have sat in those budget hearings, and they can be um, terrible. I mean, currently we have a, a very large surplus, and our issues are where are we going to spend it, right? Which was not the case. <laughs> well, our issues back in yeah in in the '80s we had a surplus, which not near like it is now, and we turned around and gave it back to the public, uh, which I think uh, that is the difference between 
where we're going to spend it, and it should go back to the public. Because if it if there's a surplus, it has not gone through the process uh, necessarily because that was not the parameters of the budget. Once you get over that budget, then really you're talking about dollars that belong to the public. Well, all the dollars, right, belong to the public. Yes, but but when you go through a legislative process, like you mentioned, I spent eight years on Ways and Means and the subcommittees. You allocate it. It's a public hearing. Everybody gets to have their say. So you set the budget, and that's what you're going to spend, and everybody knows it. But when you come up with the kind of surplus they're looking at now, in, at least in my opinion, rather than go looking for places to spend it, uh, especially in a high tax state like California, it needs to be a good portion needs to be returned to the people. When you were in the legislature, did you find that water was a, a bipartisan or a nonpartisan issue, or was it was it more like it is today, which is actually polar polarizing? Yeah, pretty polarized. Well, it, it was always polarizing. It was always the most difficult issue to work on, I would argue, uh, because you not only had the Republican Democrat conundrum, but you had the North and South problem, which cut across party lines. And uh, so you really had a four-sided problem to deal with in order to work anything out. Uh, secondly, in as you saw from the latter part of the Reagan administration, when there was much broader consensus on additional facilities, started to come into a situation where the environmental community got more involved. Some of those projects were dropped off the list for a variety of reasons. And consequently, it got more contentious as we went along. But the truth is, on water, people are sometimes confused. They think uh, the whole question of additional water in California is about whether or not you're going to give it to the farmers or going to give it to the metropolitan area. You know, the real contention in you get in those meetings is about growth. And in my opinion, this is just my own opinion, is what I dealt with was you get a, a, an extreme environmental position, which is no growth. And that's what you end up contending with. And you cannot exist in a state like as dynamic as California with a with a totally no growth attitude because you can't develop water. So we end up finding reasons not to develop water. You know, uh, they're environmental reasons or political reasons. But the truth of the matter is it's a growth, no growth issue at the core. And that's what you have to contend with. You know, I, I hadn't really looked at it that way. I always look at it as uh, the highest and best use versus and your perspective of that. So, you know, for me, obviously the highest and best youth maybe coming from a metropolitan or an urban area is drinking water. But I also understand that I like to eat mm -hmm. and I like to eat a lot and I like to eat good food. And without water, farmers can't farm. That's, that's just as simple as that. I never really saw it as no growth, but I guess it's no growth for the economy, no growth for your neighborhood, no growth for your communities. It, it, that, that is a very interesting perspective, Bill, and I really appreciate those words because I don't know if we always think about it that way and, and get it based to such a basic question. You know, do you want growth or don't you? And, you know, uh, we call this podcast, We Grow California. So obviously we're looking to grow our communities and our efficiencies and our effectiveness, um, not only in ta talking to each other, but in talking to people that are interested in, in hearing how water impacts communities. So you, you spent so much time in the legislature dealing with other electeds. Um, you must have had people come in through your halls as well to visit you and, and share their opinions. How did that go when you maybe didn't share their opinion on water um, or were aligned in their, your values? Actually, I have a tough time. Do you have a, Billy, have a story where you feel like you worked well with the Democrats together to, to solve a water issue? Well, it, it, as I say, it wasn't 
necessarily on water all the time, just Democrat and Republican. It was North-South. So if you're going to put a deal together, you have to put it together North-South and secondarily on a partisan basis. Um, my point simply is, is that um, if you go back to the original plan of the water pro projects in California, uh, it was always designed that there was a tier of how water would be used. It always you know, went to the urban area first, and then it came down, to, and the argument got to be, well, ag was in there, and then the environment. They're all important. But what changed dramatically is when the standards that were set were so extraordinarily low for water quality or for uh, fish or for the delta that no matter how much water you additional water you put in, you can't meet these standards. Then it changes that whole dynamic. And agriculture, candidly, never complained about the original concept that they would be low on the totem pole for, for water. They understood that the urban areas and in many respects, the environment needed to, to have a priority. They understood that. But the, what they didn't understand is when the, the forces, whether they be the administration in Washington or Sacramento, whatever, started using the quality issue to basically eliminate water going to, to agriculture. And that's what's, what's happened. I mean, I, I appreciate the drinking water. I carried the original legislation in 88 the California drinking water legislation before the feds had a, had a regulation. We started that in, in 88, and then I ended up doing it. I didn't get it through because I was a Republican at the time, but uh, I got it through as a co-author with the chair of the Natural Resources Committee, who was a, a, a liberal Democrat the year after that, and we negotiated it through. So we did pass important legislation on drinking water for the urban areas. However, I always remember uh, a debate I had on the floor of the legislature with a very talented Democrat uh, who went on to become a judge and a very articulate fellow. And um, we were arguing over the word pure. He wanted to put the word pure in the legislation. And I said to him on the floor, I said, how do you define pure? Well, we'll let the, we'll let the bureaucracy figure it out. We'll let the court figure it out. And that's the kind of problem you run into when you're not explicit on definitions and legislation. And you have to read it carefully and you have to watch the adjectives because the adjectives are what gets you in trouble. The details matter, right? That's right. Yeah, I remember you telling me about the 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 whole uh, issue with pumping and like that was it should or could like it right. that that the bureaucracy can get held up on. Guys, are you actually trying to intentionally deliver water to people or are you, you trying to find reasons to not and just to turn on a word? That's right. Get you. That's right. Everybody has best intentions, but they have best intentions for to accomplish their own goals. And so you have to be careful. It's tough. Would you say it's tough in this environment too? Mm -hmm. I was going to say it's tough in this environment when, especially I think for farmers, it's you're, you're getting uh, a lot of negativity about how much water you use. And it's, it's at a time when you're, you, you're at zero. A lot of guys are at zero. You, you, you've been cut to zero. You've actually spent every, sometimes it feels like the cities are finally showing up here going, Hey guys, by the way, like coming and tapping on the shoulders, farmer going, Hey, you know, it's a drought. And we say, I know it's been that way for a few years now. I've already been cut again and again and again. And just now you're telling me you need to cut something. I feel like I barely have at all, you know? Well, I think that, especially in the Central Valley, when you look at the, the, the carryover storage that's in San Luis Rey right now, and they can't, you can't get it. And, and that's, not, that's not how you play, right? You kept water to help with temperature control and Shasta, and you did the right thing. And, and now you can't get what you bought and paid for. And I, I think people understand that, but that's not the message that comes out. 
um, I know that from an urban perspective, when I first went to the Central Valley and, and saw irrigation techniques, you know, when you see flood irrigation, the first thing you think of, oh my goodness, they must be wasting water. But that's really how you recharge the groundwater basin there, right? That soil, instead of having to build yet another retention ditch or dam or, or land, does it right there in the field. So you're getting, you know, double use out of that land. And, you know, I personally think, as George Washington said, that farming is the most noble profession of man. So farmers are the first caretakers of Mother Earth. And we just celebrated Earth Day not too long ago, and, and I don't think people even realize that. So to your point about, you know, farmers were okay taking a back seat to urban and environmental, because they understood. You understand how the whole dynamics work, and, and not everybody does. And I can tell you from sitting on a uh, municipal water district board that when you talk about water quality, you know, we have to measure things in parts per trillion now, which is one drop in the Rose Bowl if the Rose Bowl was full of water. And a recent conference I went to, they wanted to start doing one drop per, per quadrillion. You know, it, just because you can detect it doesn't mean it's bad or it needs to be treated. And I think we've kind of lost the perspective of really what water is and how it's supposed to be used. And you have to bear in mind, you have to ask yourself the question, why is that true? It's not a health question, but it's presented that way. It's not a concern for the environment, but it's presented that way. It's all about growth. And so if you eliminate, basically eliminate water usage by virtue of the low, the lowest level you can find. And that's what we went through when I, I worked on the, in 1988, the Safe Drinking Water Act of 1988. Uh, we went through that same discussion. At that time, we had moved from millions to billions. So now you're way past that. But it was the same argument. Yeah, now I'm on quadrillions. Yeah, now it's the same, same argument. argument. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely patently ridiculous. Because if you don't know, if you don't know what your goal is, then you will be driven by this debate into, uh, you know, zero tolerance. And zero tolerance uh, doesn't work really well for anybody because you have to balance everybody's issues when you're in the legislature and government. You cannot be driven by one particular group or another. Well, and affordability comes into that. When you look at some of these, mm -hmm. um, especially impoverished areas throughout the state, not just the Central Valley, we all have them. We have them in my service area as well. And those those families can't afford water. No. Um, and, and now you're going to add tough regulations, very expensive water treatment, and water treatment disposal, right? So once you take the bad stuff out, what are you going to do with it? And where are you going to take it? All of that on the back of our customers. And there are more and more that just simply can't afford it. So not only no growth, but ex you know extingu extinguish the, the families and the communities you have now because they can't stay here because they can't afford they can't afford to pay the water bill. Yeah, and I think the confusion is often that it's presented as a health issue. When you get to the level that you're talking about, it's not a health issue any longer. It's a growth issue. And it's an allocation issue. And the standards are used to drive the allocation, whether it be for the fish or for the farmers or for the urban areas. And that's not correct. That's not right. So how, how do you recommend voters, farmers, advocates, anybody that drinks water? How do we get involved and make a difference? How do you recommend that we get involved? Well, you know, water in California uh, it really has to be driven by the, the administration. If you're going to have a solution that is bipartisan and uh, geographically acceptable, 
I all when we used to do this originally when 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 my dad Darcy's grandfather was involved, it was done on a statewide basis. There was a statewide consensus that was developed by the leadership: Governor Brown, Ronald Reagan, you know, George Tugmajian, you know, Democrat and Republican, and they all drove to the same place because they knew that California was going to grow and it had to have water to do so. Uh, what changed in many respects, I think, was the acceptance that, um, as I just mentioned about the word pure, when we went to these zero tolerances, it, it destroyed that the consensus because uh, it's obviously clearly a fact that you, you cannot meet those kind of levels and continue to be able to deliver safe, affordable water for the urban areas and everyone else. So if you don't challenge those standards and you ask how you fix it, you have to you have to elect people that are not just a part, you know, political party, but but understand the regional needs of their district. Um, I mean, I had I'd worked very hard with with Democrats on this issue from the valley. We did a lot of business together and worked together and on a consensus basis. Uh, but we all understood what we were trying to accomplish. You know, I always remember in those negotiations which we had back in the '80s and '90s. Uh, you would have these big meetings in the, Cal, the the Bay Delta Accord, which was done, and then the the uh, the uh, Bay Delta Group, which I was on briefly after I left. I got pulled back in by Arnold Schwarzenegger to serve on that because it was having trouble. It's still having trouble. You have, yeah, you have to have some you have to have some consensus among the decision makers that you're trying to achieve a, a, a unified goal. But by the same token, if you invite into the room people that just want to blow up the process, they can. It's much easier to kill a deal than it is to make a deal. One hundred percent. And what I learned over the years was when I found those kind of people that were just trying to stop progress at a totally, regardless of the reasons, I would not invite them back. So I'd rather deal with them in the public arena and fight it out there than to have them come inside and break it up just because they didn't want anything to happen. So you have to, if you're going to lead on those kind of issues, you have to get a group that can has some consensus, even if you don't agree with everybody, because you never get all your way. But you cannot allow people into the discussion that do not have a similar agenda to close a deal and improve the quality of life in California, or that they set standards that are so ridiculous, patently ridiculous on the on its surface, that it uh, is not achievable. And if it's not achievable, then don't waste your time with it. Uh, you need to, you know, create a situation that gives you an opportunity to succeed. That is great advice. Um, one of the questions we ask um, legislators that are looking to run for office and looking for con contributions is what media sources are your go-to for news and information? So when you get up in the morning, what, where do you go to first? You know, I don't worry about it as much as I used to because I, <laughs> uh, when I, when I was running, when I was serving, if I got up in the morning and my my name wasn't in the front page of the Fresno Bee. I felt fortunate. Good day, right? Congratulations. It means I wasn't in trouble for that day. Uh, or if I wasn't on the six o'clock news that night, I got through a whole day unscathed. Today, it's 24-7. It's on the news. You know, all the different ways that people communicate makes it very difficult because when you try to do a deal, you can't do it on the front page of the paper, nor can you do it with 24-7 news coverage because oftentimes, you know, everybody looks at their own particular position presented by their own news, 
And you get caught up in that, like, a, you know, you're the, you're the ball in the middle of the ping pong game. And if you're trying to close a deal, you have to close it uh, and you have to have some anonymity in that process. Otherwise, you can't get it done. So uh, I don't look at the answer to your question. I don't go to the media in the morning any longer as my first go. I do other things and I try to avoid that because uh, uh, as a retired person from that business, I try to stay out of it as much as possible. Wise. That's probably very wise. Your mornings are probably a lot better than the rest of ours. <laughs> a lot quieter. Than <laughs> are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with us, Bill? No, no. I think it's just great that you've got young people that want to serve. It's very important. I know it's frustrating at times, but uh, you have to have that drive, the energy, and the enthusiasm not to be discouraged by the process. It is and it is not always a fun process, and it's not sometimes not even constructive. But if you stay with it, you will get an outcome that's, if you know your district, that'll be beneficial for everybody. And I, I compliment you and everybody that's working on this project, and I wish the candidates well, because I know how tough it is. Darcy, did you want to ask any final questions or any comments before we go? No, I think, no, I don't, I don't have anything in specific. I think... Uh... It's just, it, other than say, it's been fun work because Bill, Bill is the general man, is the manager out here at the ranch and I've been working for him for 10 years and it's been a fun learning process because there's always fun stories yeah. popping out of him about how, uh, you know, like he said about how the state has worked on water and, and all the things that have happened to, uh, to the exchange contractors, to Westlands, you know, so it's, other than say, it's been fun. Well, I want to thank you, Bill. You're one of the best kept secrets Darcy has and never told me about. So I, I appreciate <laughs> well, the opportunity. It's too, bad my father, it's too bad my father's not here. He would keep you going for another hour if he was still. <laughs> well, you know, and, and that's the thing. So we could almost pop off to that in a sense, just because I remember the stories. We have that map up in your office about uh, Grandpa. You told me stories about Grandpa at one point. Even farmers were at, were at each other's throats really over water. And how he went and put the districts together to yeah. put the San Luis Delta and Delta Water Authority together, right? That's right. That's right. And had to get everybody um, in agreement. Maybe we can get a copy of that map and put it up on the podcast page so people can see it. That would be great. Sure. Be happy to do that. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, people will tune You're in welcome. next time. And thanks again, Bill. You bet. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to another We Grow California episode and being a part of our community. Be sure to like subscribe, submit your questions and guest requests at ecwaterpack.com forward slash podcast. That's E-C-W-A-T-E-R-P-A-C dot com forward slash podcast today.